Hundreds of people are praying every week uh, for people that you care about, and it's just a reminder to me of what this church is all about. We always exist uh, for the people who are not here yet. These are people that God cares about. He's inspiring us to pray, and uh, then we start to think, what happens if God answered those prayers? What happens if God were to actually reach people and send them our way, and how would we be ready, and what does he require of us, and what does he ask us to do? I've been talking to you for the last few weeks about praying prayers that are greater than the normal prayers that you pray than just, you know, God bless me and bless my family and, you know, one or two sick people. Uh, Lord, really stretch me and cause me to pray bolder, bigger prayers. Last week, I talked to you about some boldness baby steps. You know, God, uh, help me to speak when I could just stay, stay silent. And God, help me to actually just grab somebody's hand and pray for them instead of just giving a platitude or saying, I'll, I'll pray for you, but actually praying for them in that moment. Or, or maybe it's that little whisper that, that God speaks to you, just doing whatever it is that he tells you. How do you have boldness like that? Well, you pray for it. You, you say, God, I'm scared to death by what you're saying to me, but God, give me boldness that I can keep speaking your word. And God, I pray that you stretch out your hand and do things that I can't even imagine. Do the supernatural in people's lives as I speak and as I pray. Those are the kind of prayers I'm challenging you and encouraging you to pray and to practice with over these 40 days. And we've been saying this, this prayer together. What happens when God starts to answer that prayer? That's what I want to talk to you about today. There's a fight brewing. <laughs> there, don't you know that? That there is a fight brewing, that if you start praying for boldness, that God is going to start answering that prayer, and he's going to start giving you opportunities that will take you beyond what you can do yourself. Actually, if you could do it yourself, you would have done it already. So the fact that you begin to pray uh, for boldness, God is going to give you some opportunities where you are going to be stretched and nudged out of your comfort zone and there's going to be some fear and there'll be some anxiety and there'll be a sense of well I'm not sure I asked for that <laughs> but there is a fight brewing and it's going to be on the inside and uh, that's exactly why we pray for boldness and that's exactly the place where you're going to grow God has some things for you that's bigger and farther and greater than what you've ever imagined so I want to pray that for you this morning God, I pray that as we get into your word today into your scripture that you would begin to pull us and stretch us. Send that holy discontent that makes us not satisfied with where we are and move us uh, into where you would have us to be. And Lord, as we, as we know, there's going to be a fight between what we think and that which you already know. So may we learn how to trust you. In Jesus' name I pray. It was only just a few weeks ago that we soberly reflected upon the 10th anniversary of the 9-11 attacks on New York City. I remember watching uh, a few weeks ago for the first time a documentary, a new one that actually is made entirely of the cell phone video footage and the individual camcorders of people who were eyewitnesses. Fascinating perspective. Uh, on the ground video shots of people actually experiencing what went on that horrific day. And for a brief moment, the first camera shots show people who are in shock and bewilderment, and they feel sad for the people who are in the buildings, and they wonder how such a thing could have happened. Lots of confusion on the faces of people. But when the second plane hits the tower, don't you know all of that changes? Suddenly, there is a sudden awareness of, we're under attack. And there's fear and terror. 
terror. Something that we've had a glimpse of, but I'm not sure that we really understand, that we have any real uh, idea of what that is like. I mean, uh, we've been watching on the news, and I think we're very numb to it, and I think we're so used to seeing images on TV that, that we're so numb anymore. But in the country of Syria, there have been 10,000 people killed in the last few months, killed as armed militias go through the streets and pull people from their houses. We don't have the experiences of rocket and mortar shells exploding outside of our homes and us grabbing our children, pulling them back inside to safety because of of, of fear of, of imminent death or the fear of militias with guns coming into our neighborhoods. We don't live under that kind of terrorism, and yet that is the terror that most of the world, uh, you, you hear about the riots that are happening in cities around the world, and yet we live here in one of the safest places in the entire world, actually in this one of the safest spots in the safest country in the entire world. Our problems have to do with, you know, the, the cloud is blocking my satellite dish. I can't get the cable, you know. That's a real problem for us. Or, or all the Colts tickets got sold out. I can't go to the game. You know, we, we, re- we get disappointed and discouraged by those kind of things, and yet uh, the rest of the world understands maybe uh, a, a bit more. We in the West have a difficulty understanding what it's like to live under the threat of terror. Can you imagine what it would have been like to be one of those... Um, Jews during the time of the Holocaust when you're hiding in basements and hiding behind false walls and you know that at any moment the next knock at the door could mean that somebody is coming to, to, to grab you, to, to kill you or to separate your family and you'll never see your children again. Or, or, or Christians in different parts of the world where you're praying with the lights off and you hope that nobody will know that you're there, that nobody uh, will be listening, that, that somehow if they found out that we are here and, and knew what we were praying about, that they would take us and, and, and push us away. Or some of you remember uh, through stories, through ancestors of what it must have been like for your ancestors when they were snatched from the country where they lived, snatched from their world, sold into slavery, brought by ship into another place, and the terror of living that kind of existence. But those days are so far removed from where we live. I think we have a hard time getting our heads around what it must be like to live under that threat of terror. So try to imagine what it must have been like for these early Christians, the very first Christians who, who were just realizing uh, this amazing event called the resurrection. They, they, they were excited. They spilled out into the streets, filled with the Holy Spirit, saying, we can't stop talking about what we've seen and heard. I mean, I mean he was dead, and, and yet now he is alive. We saw him, and everything that he preached and said is now validated. In fact, there is peace with God through Jesus Christ. And as they shared that message of hope, people began to respond. Thousands of people, 3,000 the first day, and then 2,000 another day, and then daily the Lord keeps adding to their number 10,000 people in the city of Jerusalem. And and suddenly uh, the powers that be are enraged and infuriated because this Jesus we thought we killed is now, now this movement is spreading. And they're angry and vicious, and they, they pull these, the, the leaders in and say, you need to stop talking in this name. And they say, well, you know, we can, we can obey God or, or man, you, you know, you decide, but we're going to obey the Lord. And they threaten them, and they, they, they arrest them, they beat them. They flogged them to within an inch of their life. They whipped them for speaking in the name of Jesus. And then they threatened them. They say, you will not speak any longer in his name. <laughs> but then in the fifth chapter of the book of Acts, we hear their incredible response when they, they say this amazing line. They say, we cannot stop talking. They departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. 
and daily in the temple and in every house. They did not cease preaching Jesus as the Christ. Acts the fifth chapter. This does not mean that they were not afraid. They went back to the same temple and began to speak even though they'd just been arrested and beaten. They're back to speaking, this time with fresh wounds on their body, and God is showing up and doing signs and wonders. It does not mean that they are not afraid. It doesn't mean that they're not under incredible stress and pressure. It doesn't mean that they're not living in fear. I mean, that's why they're actually praying the prayer, oh God, we are scared to death. Will you continue to give us boldness because we need to keep speaking about what you've done? Grant us boldness, Lord, and will you stretch out your hand? to do signs and wonders in the name of your holy servant, Jesus, because we're afraid. You see, boldness has to do with the fact that there's something in front of you that causes you anxiety and fear. That's why you're praying for it. Uh, courage isn't the absence of fear. It's the fact that you're, you're saying, God, give me courage to do this thing that I don't know how to do. But God, will you give to me courage? And God answered these people's prayer. God began to do things through everybody. It wasn't just the apostles. All of the believers were filled with the Holy Spirit. And as the church grew and, and new leadership structures were, were brought in to, to, to care for the people, God began to, to use the servant leaders that, that were in the church as powerfully as all the rest. There was this one guy by the name of Stephen, one of the first leaders, a regular, a regular apostle, uh, disciple, filled with the Holy Spirit, spoke so, so with such boldness, and, and God healed people through him. And there was such a commotion that they arrested him. They pulled him into the same council and put him before uh, the religious leaders who accused him. And he, in chapter 7 of the book of Acts, lays out this incredible address to the leaders saying, this is what God has done all the way through our history, and this is what you did, and this is what you said, and you've killed this Jesus, but he is both Savior and Lord, and his testimony is so powerful, and it's so bold that, that the response to his message is they attack him, and in fury, they take him outside and they stone Stephen. They kill Stephen. That's a response to a message right there. Not one I'm looking for. But they stone Stephen. And so the writer of the book of Acts, Luke, begins to describe for us what happens. In the 8th chapter, verse 1, now Saul was consenting to his death. He's talking about Stephen. Saul was there consenting to his death. And we're introduced to this Hebrew name of a person that we know today called Paul. Paul, this rising star of the, of the opposition, this, this Jewish uh, Roman citizen Paul, the Pharisee of Pharisees, educated, brilliant, an antagonist to this new movement uh, of people that are coming against the traditions and the law in his mind. He's bold. He's well-connected. He has the best teachers, and now he is standing giving approval to the execution of this first martyr of the church, Stephen. Well, what happens is everybody's got their breath saying, we kind of overreacted. What's Rome going to do? And Rome does nothing. Rome doesn't get involved. Nobody responds. There's no harsh reaction. And so because of this, the adversaries of the church are emboldened, and they're, they're filled with, with, now we have our opportunity and it says in verse 2 that a great persecution arose against the church that was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, fulfilling the very prophecy of Jesus. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and even to the ends of the world. You just didn't realize that persecution was going to be the thing that sent you there. Verse 3, as for Saul, he began to destroy the church. He, it says he made havoc 
on the church. You know what a person is who creates havoc in that specific sense right there? He's a terrorist. It says that he would go from house to house and he would pull people. I mean, house to house, attacking the followers of Jesus, uh, stabbing, cutting, violent, pulling whole families, men and women alike, pulling them out into the streets, some executed, some sent to, to prison, violently opposed to this new movement of Christ's followers. This goes on for a period of three years between chapter 8 and chapter 9 of the book of Acts. Three years go by and Paul is going from house to house breathing these threats, these murderous threats against Christians. This is an atmosphere of terror where you don't know if at any moment someone's going to come into your home and steal you away from your family. Verse 1 of chapter 9, then Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest. He asked for letters to the synagogues of Damascus, so that if he found any who were of the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. You see, they weren't even called Christians yet. They're just called followers of the way. Why were they called that? Because often, and I guess very frequently, Jesus in his teaching would say this phrase. He would say, I am the way, the truth and the life, and no one comes to God except through me. And of course, this is what enraged everybody. You either believe that to be true, or you were outraged that anyone would say, I'm the only way to God, and I'm the Messiah. And so this is what so infuriates Saul with this righteous indignation. And so now he realizes, he's brilliant, he realizes Damascus, the cultural economic center of that part of the world. If the followers of the way get to Damascus from there, it will spread to the entire world. I must put a stop to this. He asks for letters and for permission to go to Damascus. And see, here's a whole other sermon right here, that your enemy has to ask for permission before he can attack you. That's a whole other sermon right there, but that's what's true. The scripture says that the enemy can't just come in and attack your life. Are you excited about that little news right there? That he has to ask for permission? That the only thing that could happen to you is what God allows? Another story. He asked for permission. And so he goes to Damascus filled with, with uh, this, this intent to wreak havoc. I'm going to destroy the church. I'm going to make them wish they never heard my name. And almost at the point of coming into the city of Damascus, a blinding light, Jesus himself appears to Saul of Tarsus on the road to Damascus, knocks him off his high horse. By the way, this is exactly where that phrase comes from right here. Knocks him off his horse, lands him on the ground in humility. Who are you, Lord? I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. I just want to stop and praise God for being a God that can stop an enemy in his tracks when he's coming your way to destroy you. That's an amazing thing, that God can just arrest your enemy and just with one word just appear and change everything. I mean, you should thank him today, not just for you know, the clothes that you have and the food on your table and the roof over your head. You can thank him that, God, if it wasn't for you, you know, I would have been destroyed, but you stopped it. I would have lost my mind, but you stopped it. I would have lost my marriage, but you stopped it. I would have, it would have been cancer, but, but you stopped it. I mean, there's so many things where God just shows up, one encounter with Jesus, and everything will change. And so here is Saul, brought to his knees by an encounter with Jesus, humbled. And verse 8, Saul arose from the ground. He couldn't see. He was so blinded by what he saw. They led him by the hand. They bring him into Damascus, stumbling blind. What a contrast from just a moment before. A powerful, authoritative, tyrant, terrorist killer on his way in, ready to wreak havoc. And now he's being led by the hand, stumbling blind, by those who he once led. 
Now, here's where the story really gets interesting. There was a disciple of the way, an unknown to us, just, just a regular, average, ordinary follower of Jesus named Ananias who was living in Damascus. And the Lord came to him and said in a vision, Ananias, and he said, here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, arise, go to a street called Straight, and there in the house of Judas you will find one, Saul of Tarsus. Behold, he is praying. Now, in a vision, he's seen a man named Ananias come to him and lay hands on him that he might receive his sight. (laughs) Picture Ananias getting this message. He does not know what God has done to Saul on the road to Damascus. He doesn't have that information. In Ananias' mind, an enemy is coming. A terrorist is coming. In Ananias' mind, a threat that doesn't exist is still coming his way. He's living under a threat that doesn't exist. You know how many people are living under threats that really don't exist? Because God doesn't inform you when he's solved your problems. He doesn't come and consult and say, oh, by the way, here's what I'm going to do next. He's already begun to do a work in your life, and you just don't know it yet, but still living under the threat. He comes to Ananias, and he says, yes, Lord. That's what we do, right? Lord, yes, what do you want from me? I'll do whatever you want. I'll go where you want me to go. I'll say what you want me to say. All that I have is yours. Everything that I have, everything that I'm not, all that I ever hope to be. I'm yours, Lord. Try me now and see if I can be completely yours. I'm yours, Lord. Everything that I have. I just want to give it all to you. I'm yours, Lord. Come again? What do you want me to do? What? And, and, And he starts to say things like you and I have said many times before. Wait a second. You don't understand what you're asking me. You don't understand, Lord, what you're saying. Now, I, I want to do what you say, but come on, Lord, really. Do you understand what you're asking me? Do you know who this person is? I have heard, he says, I have heard the murderous threats that he has made. I have heard uh, that what, what, he has, uh, what he has done to the saints back in Jerusalem. Everybody knows that he's a terrorist and a killer, and he's coming here to imprison us. God, this is what I have heard. And God says... You know, never tell God uh, what, what you think he doesn't know, okay? This is like newsflash. God already knows everything, all things. He already knows it all. It's not like you have some confidential classified information that he does not have access to that you have to inform him. He knows it all. God already knows uh, before the tear even comes to your eyes. He already knows. God already knows uh, you're, they, that that's an enemy while they're still pretending to be a friend to you. God already knows that there's an end even before you're aware that there's a beginning. God knows it all. And he says, God, you don't understand. And God's saying, son, you need to rest in the omniscience of God that I, I know all things are in my hand. I want you to go to him because I've chosen him to be a chosen vessel of mine. He's going to declare my word to the Gentiles, to kings, to the children of Israel. Go to him. I'll let him know what he needs to suffer, but you go to him and pray for him. I know how to take somebody who's been working against you and turn them around to bless you. That's good right there. God can turn people who are out to hurt you and attack you, and he can turn them around. Ananias is having trouble with that idea, as you would too. God, I don't understand. God, there's no way that you can do something in that guy's life. There's no way that you can turn him around. I mean, God, it's impossible. Do you know what he's like? Do you know what he's done? Do you know, how could we even forgive him for what he's done? I've heard about his past. 
I know some of the people he killed. There is no way. And see, this is the fight. This is the fight that you will have that's brewing all the time. God, I know what, what you said, but, but here's what I think. This is a fight between what you think and what God knows. You see, it's a battle for the mind. It's a battle for, for who's going to win in your mind. What you think will always fight against what God knows. See, the weapons of our warfare are not, carn- are not carnal, but they are mighty through God through the pulling down of strongholds, the, the, the strongholds of our mind, casting down imaginations, the, the wild worst-case scenarios that we make up in our head, every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. See, this boils down to really this old phrase, whose report will you believe? Will you believe what God says or will you believe what you think? Ananias, don't fight me. I already know what I'm doing. I've set him up. I've blinded him so that he could see. I've broken him so that I can bless him. Ananias, you're the only one. I've created a need that only you can solve. This guy that was coming to kill you can only now be healed by you. That is a mind-boggling thought. When you lay your hands on him, Ananias, he's going to receive his sight. See, this is the test you're going to find in your life over and over again. Will you, will you move against your fears and obey what God is telling you to do even when you don't understand it? Or even when you're afraid to do it? Or even when you don't feel like doing it, will you say, God, I just will do what you say. I'll respond. I'll listen. You can obey him or you can fight with him. And see, there's two characters in this story. And one character has to have a heart that's humble enough to admit when they're wrong. There's one character that that was going one direction and suddenly has an epiphany that everything I've believed is wrong. And they have this eye-opening moment where they realize how many things that they've done wrong and and what they've done and how many people they've hurt. And they have to be honest enough to say in humility, I was wrong, I'm sorry. I had no idea what I was doing. But the second character And the story is really fighting with this question. Is your heart tender enough to minister to somebody who's hurt you? Is your heart soft enough to do something that you think is absolutely impossible? Saul's praying, God, I had no idea. And Ananias is wrestling. God God says to him, I want you to do something that's pretty bold. And I want you to pray a very bold prayer. Will you go? And I love this about this guy, Ananias. We've never even heard about him before, but here's this guy that simply says, all right, Lord, whatever you say. And he went to this house on Straight Street, the house of of Judas, and inside he finds this man, Saul. He says this, Brother Saul, think of the acceptance in even calling him that. Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you came has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he received his sight at once. And Paul, or Saul, gets up and goes and immediately is baptized, immediately identifies himself as one of those who is now following Christ. I'm dead to my past, and I'm alive with Christ. Ananias, on the other hand, is now blessing the person who was sent to kill him. Being just like Jesus, who said, Father, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. And in identifying with Jesus, when you're acting like Jesus, the Holy Spirit is going to fill you and bless you and everything that you touch and everything that you do is going to be blessed of God. 
This is what the, it's this incredible story of Ananias' life teaches us. And then Paul, I'm in awe, he actually goes and starts speaking in the synagogues and preaching that Jesus is the Christ. And everybody's like, what is this? And they're bewildered and they're baffled. Isn't this the same guy that was coming here with papers from Jerusalem to kill the followers of the way? And now he's preaching that Jesus is the Christ? The opposition came so quickly against Paul, he's taken away and he has to go out and hide out. In fact, God humbles Paul for yet another three years. For three years, he doesn't speak or preach or do anything except be on the backside of the wilderness where God humbles him and molds his soul. And then for another 14 years, God just trains him and teaches him under the authority of these other apostles and under an apostle by the name of Barnabas. And God shapes him and he learns and he grows. But there comes a point in time when Paul is actually sent out and he goes and he goes to cities all over the Mediterranean basin. And he starts little gatherings, little ecclesias, little, little churches of, of followers of Jesus all over the known world. And then he writes letters to them uh, like, like a father. He starts writing letters to encourage them, most of which are all in the New Testament that we have today, which makes up the majority of the New Testament, which is the reason why you're here today. That's why we're all here, because Paul wrote those letters. And the reason why Paul wrote those letters and Paul even went to those places is because of a humble Christ follower that you may have never heard of before named Ananias, who had the boldness to just go do what God told him to do, and he prayed a very bold prayer. I wonder what God has yet to do through you, just because you haven't obeyed and because you haven't prayed. What could God do? What could God do through you if you'd simply just listen to that little whisper? You see, there is going to be a fight. There's going to be a fight every single time God talks to you. And that's why there's going to be this wrestling match. Lord, I know, but do you know this? Will you simply walk across the room and have the conversation? Will you do more than say, I'm praying, and will you simply just pray? If you've watched that small group video at all that we're doing together as a church, when, 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 would you have the courage to, to grab hold of a man's hand and say, I'm praying for you. When you just, if you'll just call in the name of the Lord, he'll change your life, and I want to pray for you right now. What a story. What can God do through ordinary you if you'll simply pray for boldness and pray the prayers that God's asking you to pray? I said there are two characters in this story. There's the one that has to pray a bold prayer and do a bold thing, but there's another person. And that person just humbly has to admit when they've seen the light. And there are some of you today that are having a genuine spiritual awakening. Maybe it wasn't God knocking you off a horse, but your eyes are starting to open. God broke you in some way, and he's doing it to bless you. God has blinded you in order to make you see. It was the Apostle Paul who wrote in one of his letters to the Corinthian church in chapter 15 of 2 Corinthians where he said this. He says, I am the least of the apostles. I'm not worthy to be called an apostle. I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace towards me was not in vain. I can't believe that God chose me. I can't believe he picked me. I was the worst offender and maybe that's what's holding you back. You're saying, Darren, you have no idea what I've done. You have no idea what's been done to me. It's impossible. I mean, easy for you to say, you're a pastor, and I'm sure your kids are going to follow the Lord and do all kinds of great things, because of course, they've grown up in the church, and that's just, I could see that happening, but not with me. Listen, with Christ, 
Anything is possible. In fact, what he wants to do is change your life so dramatically that no one will even see it coming, that you can't even see it coming. And this is what he said to his first followers. He says, will you make a 180? Will you change the direction of your life and will you start to follow me? And if you follow me, I'll make such a change in you that you won't even recognize yourself a few years from now. Follow me. And I'm going to tell you about that change. It's not going to be easy. And it's uncomfortable. Everything in your life is set up to support the life that you have right now. What we want is for things to get better and just stay all the same. And that's not going to happen. You have to make a total break and say, no longer will I live this way. And now I'm going to live following Christ. I'm going to be bold. I have the humility to say, God, I I don't even know what I'm doing. God, I've turned my back on my past, and I want to follow you now. If you will surrender your life to Christ, he will take you farther than you've ever dreamed. He'll do something different and more wonderful in you and through you. That's the truth. And the other thing is, is for some of you, your character isn't Paul. Your character is Ananias. What does God want to do through you? What bold prayers is he asking you to pray? What can he do through you if you'll simply just listen to what the Holy Spirit says? Let me just pray for you right now. Holy Spirit, right now, I pray that you'll speak to both characters who are in this room, the believer who's struggling with trusting you and the person who's had their eyes opened and they're humbly humbly before you. The The first prayer I wanna pray is for people who are having this spiritual awakening. The prayer goes like this, God, I have, I have turned uh, from my ways, Lord, today, and I'm turning to you. I am the worst offender. I know that I've sinned against you, but today I want to commit my life to you, and I want to repent. I want to, I want to believe that you are my Lord and Savior, that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. I want to follow you now. I want to be baptized. I want to change the direction of my life and separate myself from the past and follow you. Yes, God, that's me. There's others of you. I want to ask you this question. Will you continue to fight with God over what he's asking you? Will you you not walk across the room and have the conversation? Will you not invite that person to church? Will you not pray immediately? Don't tell me what you've heard, what you've learned, what you think is not possible anymore, what somebody said no longer happens today. You can argue with all that all you want. But what will you do with what God has spoken to you? Will you be bold? Will you be bold? Will you pray this prayer? Father, grant to me, your servant, boldness to keep speaking your word. Lord, stretch out your hand and do amazing signs and wonders. Do things that only you can do. In the name of your holy servant, Jesus, through me, I accept that. I want to follow you today like that. Say, yes, God, that's me. Holy Spirit, draw every person today who's making this commitment to you. I ask in Jesus' name, amen. We close our service in just a moment. I'm going to invite anyone who wants to live this life to turn from their past or maybe to move into a whole new layer of boldness to mark it today by coming and asking for prayer. Be bold, and God will take you farther than you ever dreamed. God bless you guys. I love every and every one of you. See you next time.